What's up, guys? Welcome into Dog Central on a Thursday evening. I am Graham Coffey. This is the Dog Central YouTube channel, the Dog Central podcast feed, the Dog Central everything. Uh, here we are. It is August. It is time to get rolling. Georgia had their first fall practice of the season today. Uh, apologies, by the way, for uh, being on a little bit late here. Uh, had to run one of the animals to the vet this afternoon and also wanted to be sure to get out uh, subscriber practice notes before coming on the air today. If you are a Dog Central subscriber, uh, 1,500 words of fresh day one practice notes are up on the website, so go take a look at those. And uh, we're going to talk about lots of stuff. We got some good questions loaded up. I'm sure we'll have some good questions from the live chat. And uh, yeah, in case it didn't already feel enough like football season is getting here, uh, we've got some NFL preseason on tonight. Hall of Fame game from Canton. So lots to be excited about. I don't know about you guys, but uh, I woke up today feeling a little more invigorated than I have in, in a, a good while just because... It's time. It's back. And we are here and ready for it. Yes, I am here. Hello, Harry. Good to see you, buddy. Hope you're doing well this evening. Um, let's get straight into some subscriber questions. Uh, if you guys are joining us live, then feel free to uh, jump in the YouTube chat and ask questions. I'm sure that we'll get to some stuff uh, about the um first day of fall camp so if you got questions about that throw them in here i'll answer what i can for you when i can for you um first question we have here is from one of our subscribers mr charlie w uh he asks does Xavier and sorry make an unexpected surge as one of the best players on the field and force kirby to play him more than smile mondon or jamon dumas johnson is it more likely we see something similar to 2021 UGA with three linebackers? Uh, I would be surprised if uh, Sorry made that big of a leap to where, you know, he ended up as the number one snap count guy in that room. Uh, look, Mondin's going to be behind the eight ball no matter what because he is coming off of this foot injury, and we don't exactly know right now just how long he's going to be out for and how much that will limit him. But uh, when he's ready to go, he's going to be on the field. And that's because he brings some unique things to Georgia's linebacking room. Um, if you look at Georgia over the last couple seasons and really in particular in 2022, they are very much relying on that inside linebacker position uh, when they want to get pressure on the quarterback. Uh, these defensive linemen, even Jalen Carter, uh, Georgia wants those guys to two-gap. They want them to to play soundly against the run and to be in a position where they can they can jump in and play the A-gaps or the B-gaps, or if, if you're talking about the defensive ends, then the B-gaps are, are the outside edge uh, on any down. And that means that at the snap, they're not – trying to shoot gaps very often. The only time you're really going to see Georgia do that is like third and, you know, nine plus, third and eight plus, obvious passing situations, maybe late in a football game. But um, even then, 
you don't see it all the time. And the reason for that is because one of Kirby Smart's number one rules with his defensive front is that if a quarterback is going to take off and run against Georgia, then he wants that quarterback to have to, to go outside towards the sideline does not want to open lanes up the middle. So that's all a very long winded say way of saying uh, smile Mondin's ability and Jamon Dumas Johnson's ability as a pass rusher are, are very much valued by Georgia and they're an important part of how they get to the quarterback. Um, Georgia's pressure packages are awesome, but those pressure packages are, are often reliant on those defensive linemen two gapping, occupying double teams, and then those inside linebackers kind of coming on delayed blitzes. But you also at times will see uh, more so Mondin than Dumas Johnson creep up pre-snap and just come straight off the edge like a traditional pass rusher. Uh, I expect Georgia's edges to be better this year than they were last year. Just, uh, just the depth there. Like one of the practice notes I just put up is like Marvin Jones looks like a monster so far. So I, I think when you're talking about Georgia getting pressure in 2023, there's obviously a lot that's still to be determined, but I think a big part of that is going to be, uh, still coming from the inside linebackers, especially early in the season, until we see those those edges kind of prove that they can beat SEC tackles one on one in obvious passing situations where those tackles are taking a wider stance and you know they're they're kind of shading outside. Um, but yeah, I mean with with Marvin Jones Jr. and uh, Chaz Chambliss and all this young pass rushing talent, Damon Wilson, uh, Gabe Harris, Samuel and Pimba, like some of those guys are going to hit right away. Some of those guys might take a year or two to be significant producers for Georgia, but I expect you will still see Georgia coming with inside linebacker pass rushes. And so with Sori, he is a unique athlete. Like I think athletically speaking, he's probably closer to Mondin than he is Dumas Johnson and Dumas Johnson's a great athlete, but like Mondin, you know, Kirby smart said it last preseason, he's a different type of athlete than Georgia's ever had a linebacker under, under Kirby, which is saying quite a bit when you go down the list of names who have been in that room. So I, I think that you are looking at a guy who, uh, who is just, really finally coming into his own as an off-ball linebacker and kind of struggled to just understand the nuances of that position when he first got on campus. But there's a reason he was a five-star, and it's because of the athletic ability. I don't know what he can do as a pure pass rusher yet. I know he's fast, and I know that he's twitchy. But, you know, the sometimes rushing from that inside linebacker position is much more about timing than it is anything else. So we will have to wait and kind of see – how that looks for him. Um, I don't think that he's going to have a higher usage rate than Dumas Johnson or Mondin, but I do think right now, you know, uh, maybe, maybe that 2021 comparison is kind of the, maybe the ceiling for, for sorry, uh, in, in a time where all three of those inside linebackers are healthy. Like, there are some things to his game 
just in terms of pure pursuit that that do remind me of Channing Tindall a little bit. And I do think that his ability to scrape and come around the edge and meet running backs before they can get off the end of the line is is going to be pretty special. So uh, excited to see what that looks like. Um, yeah. And uh, see some of you guys checking in the chat. Nice to see you all this evening. Thank you for being here. Uh, if you have any questions, please be sure to jump in there and let us know what they are or let me know, I should say. Rolling solo tonight. Um, one second here. Just got to pull up our question list. Okay. So what else do we have here? Okay. Do you believe in modern college football that you can have a statue at quarterback? No mobility to escape for first downs. I'm not talking about needing a Cam Newton or Vince Young or a Tim Tebow, but besides a couple of Alabama quarterbacks, the last almost 20 years has been composed of QBs who can use their feet when need be. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Um, I mean, it seems like Kirby Smart and Todd Monken don't. That's kind of what they told you when they chose – uh, when they chose Stetson Bennett over JT Daniels a few years ago, right? Like they didn't really totally think that they could be the dynamic offense that they want to be with a guy like Daniels who wasn't as fleet of foot. And uh, I didn't realize how kind of slow he was until watching him at West Virginia in 2022, where he didn't have an offensive line like George's to protect him and kind of seeing, seeing that pile up on him over time. Um, I, I think that you got to have a guy who can at least get out of the pocket and get you out of bad plays. Uh, Stetson was, was pretty exceptional last year. Like, thinking back on the Tennessee game on getting out of the pocket, getting off the the end and, you know, creating touchdown plus type plays out of situations that normally would be a sack for a less fleet footed quarterback. Uh, I don't think Georgia's going to have that this year in Carson Beck. Like I think Carson can move well enough straight line. He can keep his own read and pick up eight to 12 yards on first down. Like, He's not what I would call a statue, but he's also not going to, you know, he's not going to run a four, five, four, six at top speed and make guys miss in the open field. Uh, And I think that's, that's a big concern for Georgia this year. I think the offensive line is the strength of Georgia's entire team, at least the starting five. I think depth is still a question for that OL, but with, uh, with Carson Beck back there, it, it is kind of a question of, you know, we don't know until we see him pressured in certain situations. And uh, I, I think he's probably agile enough to make the first guy miss. But, you know, it's just, is he also agile enough to beat that defensive back that starts to close, you know, out of the tackle box and, and get rid of the football. Georgia doesn't need Carson Beck to make big plays with his legs, 
but they do need Carson Beck to keep them out of sacks. And you heard Kirby Smart kind of talk about that um, back in 478, dog. Uh, you have an excellent avatar, I see there. Uh, but you heard Kirby Smart talk about that. Uh, I believe it was SEC Media Days. Somebody asked him about kind of the modern quarterback and just, you know, he was like the difference now is uh, instead of ending up in third and 14, you have a guy that, you know, can get you out of a bad play and then you live to fight again on third and six. And I think that's important for any offense. But if you look at how Georgia did what they did in 2022, like they were not an overly explosive attack, but they were exceptional, exceptional in terms of success rate. And success rate is a good indicator of staying on schedule. A successful first down play from success rate standpoint means you gained more than half the, the yards that you need for a first down. So, um, yeah, I think Beck can do that. Like, I think he can make sure that they're not finding themselves in third and 14. And uh, if you look at kind of Georgia quarterbacks uh, – over the last decade, like you had Stetson, you know, Eason was not particularly fleet footed. I wouldn't call him a statue either, but you know, from ran a good bit his freshman year and then stopped doing that, uh, particularly in 2019. And I thought that really hurt the offense. I don't know if that was something he was coached to do or chose to do or what, but, uh, I think maybe one of my favorite things about Carson Beck, as a starter for 2023 is that you go back and look at his snaps over the last two years. And he has put some stuff on tape where he is keeping zone reads or he's taken off and, and running. I don't think that's going to be a huge part of Georgia's offense, but the threat of it creates running lanes for Georgia's running backs. If, if the defensive end on the short side of the field, believes that Carson Beck is a threat to run the football, then they can't just crash into the backfield in some of these shotgun zone read handoff situations or RPO situations. And that's really what matters. It's really the important part. So um, I see some of you uh, talking about Beck's recent fade, or I shouldn't say fade, uh, just a shaved head does not have the Stetson fade, but uh, yeah, there are, some 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 people I know like really uh really dug that like are very much all in on on Carson Beck now after after seeing that uh <laughs> that he he got himself that fade so uh hey I don't know whatever whatever does it for you but uh it is kind of a statement of like being being all ball so Carson Beck appears to be all ball um One second, we are just posting this link onto Twitter so that people see it if they want to. All right, moving on. Let's go here to uh, Mike has quite a few questions. Uh, the first one is about running backs. So he asks, which running back is the best receiving threat? How much of a drop off will there be from previous years? I think uh, what's kind of fascinating is I think that yesterday Kirby Smart told you that Cass Jones might be the best receiving threat. 
he said that all of his running backs need to work on receiving. And uh, I think Roderick Robinson, from from what I was told over spring practice, is probably one of the more natural. Uh, I think he might be the most natural receiving threat of the highly recruited running backs, which I would include as Dejan, Kendall Milton, Andrew Paul, Branson, and Roderick. But I was standing down on the sidelines uh, last year against Vanderbilt when Cash Jones caught that pass and, like, dipped out for a, a long touchdown. I forget exactly how long it was, but that kid's better than people think he is. Uh, and Kirby said yesterday, like, pound for pound, maybe the strongest guy on the team. He is a like a, a sub-4-5 kid for sure. He, he's in the 4-4 four four somewhere. So I, I was having this conversation with somebody earlier today, like, don't be surprised if Georgia's on the road in the SEC and they are uh, they're all of a sudden slipping him into a formation on third and five in the red zone, and he's running that kind of McIntosh style flare route, and they're they're hitting him out there because the inside linebacker doesn't think he's actually a threat to to catch the ball, and all of a sudden he's scooting into the end zone for six, but. I think there's going to be a drop-off from last year. It's hard for there not to be. Uh, Kenny McIntosh, third-leading receiver on the team. Um, I think he had the second-most receiving yards of any running back in the country in, in 2022. So, like, definitely not a shabby performance at all by him. And I don't know. I, I think among the kind of starting group of, of running backs, I would say that uh, – Dejan would probably be the guy. Dejan Edwards would probably be the guy that I think has shown the most from a receiving standpoint over the last couple of years. Uh, there were times against TCU where he did line up into uh, like pass formations, um, got out there and actually like ran routes like a wide receiver. So I think that's, I think that's a positive thing. Um, we shall see kind of where that goes in 2023, just because, like, I don't know, looking at the tape, that says to me that he's the, the most likely. But uh, there's people that watch a practice every day who don't feel that way necessarily. So I'm not exactly 100% sure how to, how to feel about that. Um, so – we shall see. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, big piece of news that just happened. Uh, Steve Pierre Bolo and Bo- I don't know how to say your last name, Steve. I don't want to butcher it, but uh, class of 2025 edge recruit. Um, he has decided to reclass classified of the class of 2024. Um, you know, the truth is that uh, we actually, when by we, I mean Jason, my partner at Dog Central, uh, he reported this earlier in the week um, that, you know, that was a possibility and to watch out for it and also really likes George's chances of, of landing him. Um, so, Keep an eye on him. He's just one of those like freaky, freaky dudes that was built to be an edge rusher. And 
very raw. He's a Canadian kid, but like kind of, you know, a rare athlete. Um, Jason's very tied in in the state of Alabama. He's a Phoenix City native. Has heard a lot of good things about this player uh, in recent months. So keep an eye on him. Sorry. Just saw that. Um, some exciting news for Georgia. And that is probably a guy that I would expect to see uh, maybe be in the, the next edge uh, in Georgia's class. All right. Going back to Mike's questions here. Uh, historically, Mike Bobo has tended to heavily rely on feeding the ball to his stars compared to Monken, who seemed to spread it around. Which philosophy do you think we will see in 2021? I'm sorry, in 2023. Good Lord, guys. Apologize. Um, I have questions about that myself. I, I think it's got to be the, the spread around formula. I wouldn't be surprised if Kirby and Bobo and everybody at Georgia are so sick and tired of being negatively recruited in wide, by like teams that they're going up against for elite wide receivers that – they do maybe, you know, get to October and see who their leading receiver is and then kind of not force feed that guy in the middle of like actual games, but kind of maybe leave that player in a little longer than they might have in years past and do, you know, I wouldn't call it intentional stat padding. They would never say that they're going to pad somebody's stats, but I do think Georgia's sick of, hearing about not having a thousand yard receiver since 2002 and only having one in school history and Terrence Edwards. So I think that in the same user, Mike also asked about dominant Lovett stat line. So I'm going to kind of fold this question together here. Like I think that dominant Lovett right now put a gun to my head. Uh, I would say that, you know, he's, he's probably the, the guy that I would think is most likely to be your thousand yard receiver. Obviously Brock Bowers, if Georgia wanted him to be a thousand yard guy, they could probably make him into a 1400 yard guy. I just, I don't know that that helps their situation. It might hurt them. Cause I think that they've gone in, up against the kind of scenario of like, you're an elite wide receiver. You're a five-star. You can, you know, come to Tennessee and have, 1,280 yards and 14 touchdowns running go routes next year. Why would you go to Georgia where they're going to target their tight ends, you know, maybe a hundred times in a season. And it's, it's a wide receivers care about stats more than any other position. Okay. Like they, and I'm not saying this about all of them, but as a, as a whole, I would say that wide receivers, especially wide receiver recruits of this day and age care less about winning and than any other position group that is my own personal biased opinion but uh yeah i you know like i i think that there's a good chance georgia I, like if 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 pickens had been healthy in 2021 i think he might have become that guy uh yeah, I, I think that there's a good chance that Georgia finally 
just decides to to be done with that and crush the narrative. Kirby Smart's crushed basically every other narrative that was surrounding Georgia football that was negative. So why not just get rid of this one and and be done with it? Um, Okay. Uh, This is going to be a sensitive topic. Uh, Tampa Dog asks about (laughs) NIL rules and using NIL as a recruiting tool. Um, So, and this is a fair question. So I'm going to, I'm going to answer it without trying to say anything wrong here. Uh, So there is a blurb in the NIL rules and that is in quotes for a reason. Rules is in quote. If you're listening to this on audio later about not being able to use NIL as a recruiting tool. Is there something about NIL that I am missing? Um, So NIL, there's no rule that says NIL can not be used as a recruiting tool. Um, There is rules saying NIL cannot be used as an inducement to commit to a certain school. Look, lawyers are good at their jobs. Contracts are made to be broken. In a lot of cases, rules are made to be stepped around. Um, The NIL rules that the NCAA has put out, they are one thing. And then you also have the issue of state laws. Like Jimbo Fisher, uh, last offseason, after Nick Saban had talked all of his smack about Texas A&M buying recruits, at their uh, at that booster function, Jimbo Fisher called a press conference and he went on a rant where he said a lot of things. But one thing that really stood out to me in that rant was he says, we haven't broken any state laws. And he's right. Like in Texas, you can you can do things with NIL that you can't do in other states. Uh, kids in California can start making NIL in high school. Kids in most states cannot. Um I've had people speculate plenty of times over highly rated recruits, particularly young quarterback recruits that are rising sophomores, but are already, you know, established as the next big thing. Like, will that kid transfer to a state where he can make some NIL money in high school? Because why wouldn't you? Um, You look at Quinn Ewers. He committed to Ohio State made a million dollars for a year of service there, but uh, like that, that can be done. That can be negotiated Um, for a school like Georgia. What they're doing when they talk about NIL with recruits is saying, look, you know, this is what our star players are making. We, sir, we think that your kid can be a star and, this is what players who perform at the University of Georgia make. There is a difference between NIL and endorsements. Um, some of these kids are making actual endorsement money. They're being paid to advertise, like Stetson with the, I think it was Georgia Milk, maybe, or, uh, you know, you you drive around Athens, you'll see billboards with, with guys on it, you'll, I'm sure there's guys on local TV commercials doing appearances at car dealerships, all sorts of different things. But if you talk about, um, 
actual like NIL, every scholarship player on Georgia and probably some that aren't scholarship players are, are making NIL money. And the classic city collective that Georgia has, like basically they're, they're pooling donations and money to distribute to players. You can not call these guys employees and they don't want to call those guys employees for different legal reasons and all of that stuff. But like at the end of the day, that's, that's what it is for a lot of these kids. Like it's, it's a monthly, call it a monthly salary, call it a monthly stipend, whatever you want. Um, I'm not saying it's not, not all of Georgia's players are pulling down the same amount of NIL money, but there is kind of a base that everybody's making. And then the, the star players, they're going out and making more off of ads and endorsements that they're paid to do. Um, Brock Bowers decided to forego taking any NIL money from Classic City Collective this season and just told UGA to put that back in the pot for his teammates because he's he's making enough advertising endorsement type deals off of his performance and his on-field fame. So, um, yeah, I hope that answers your question. But uh, I, I guess as far as the question about the actual rules, yeah, like teams are using it as an inducement, but you can't prove that. And I'm sure there's creative language around it. Like there's the NCAA is a pretty rudderless, like unpowerful organization now. And I wouldn't be shocked if five years down the road, these kids are actually uh, employees. So um, Hunter asks, about Jonel Aguero. Do you think Aguero can slash will overtake Tyke Smith at star this season like Malachi Starks did to Jan Dan Jackson at safety last season? Um before we talk about Tyke and Aguero, I would say remember that Dan Jackson got hurt. You know, he he had that foot injury that that ended his season uh, very early, either I think week one or week two. But uh, even before that foot injury, Starks was the starter. Like, he started the Oregon game. That's why he was on the field to make that incredible interception in the first quarter or early second quarter whenever that happened. So, um. Yeah, I mean like he did he did over he did overtake Jackson. Uh but I don't really know what Jackson would have done last year, like how many snaps he would have seen just because he wasn't healthy. Um I think with Aguero, I mean there's people speculating that that's going to happen. Like Tyke Smith is a really good player who was once a third team all-American at West Virginia. And he came to Georgia and everyone thought he was going to be one and done and be a high round draft pick. And then he got hurt multiple times. Um, I think this is the first time he's been really healthy since he got to UGA. And it sounds like he's in very good shape. He's in the best shape that we've seen him in since he got to Athens. I keep hearing comparisons to, to Javon Bullard when it comes to, 
Tykey. Uh, I think the question for him is going to be, is he sticky enough against twitchy slot receivers? And what I mean by twitchy is like, think of a lad McConkey or, you know, think of, think of some of these guys who can really change direction fast, not like a Tennessee receiver who's just going to run slants and go routes, but a guy who can run a whip route in a third and goal situation from the three and create two yards worth of space on a, on a route that's only run a couple yards deep into the end zone. Like those are going to be the guys that I worry the most about for, for Tyke. And I think Aguero, he's one of those players who has been identified as that dude just moves differently than most people. Um, and that's not just pure speed that is coming in and out of breaks, backpedaling and then exploding forward, changing direction, that's what I mean by moves differently than most people. So I think he's going to be hard to hold off. And I think it's going to be hard to keep him out of the, the lineup and he's going to see some playing time, but I don't know how quickly that will happen. And I think for Aguero, a lot of that's going to be dependent on him understanding scheme and responsibility. The thing about secondary play is uh, a high floor is more important than a high ceiling. Because if you make a mistake on that a mistake on that back end, it can be six points quickly. It can be a 75, 80 yard touchdown given up that you know gets you behind early or changes the momentum of a game. And Georgia's in the business of making you earn every yard that you get. But also, like if you look at Georgia over the last couple of years, where they win a lot of games is in the red zone. They play, you know, they play the game of okay, like we're not going to press you too hard to where we're going to let somebody get behind us when teams are driving down the field. But once they get into that red zone and the field shrinks, it's like we're going to force you to kick a field goal four out of five times a day. And because of that, we're going to win the game, even if we only have five red zone trips ourselves, because we're going to, we're going to convert four of ours into touchdowns and you're only going to be able to kick field goals. Like, 2021 Auburn game is a great example. Like that game was very close for three quarters. Statistically, Auburn moved the ball really well, but uh, they got into the red zone twice and went for it on fourth down twice and didn't score twice. And so they lost. They couldn't keep up. Um, so I think that's the thing to think about with Aguero is uh, does Georgia trust him to be in the right places at the right time? It's not just about the physical ability. And I think we'll get more insight on that as we go through fall camp. But, uh, yeah, that's that's my take on it for now. All right. Uh, what do you put this in? This is from Cam. Cam asks, if Carson Beck has the best season – he can possibly have in terms of what he's capable of. What do you think his draft ceiling is? Uh, I think he's his draft ceiling is when we're talking about draft, the NFL draft is a event, an event that's based on potential, right? It's how Anthony Richardson can be a 56% passer and third overall pick of the NFL draft or the fourth, whatever he was. Um, I think for Carson, the physical 
side of things has never been the issue. Uh, he is a very toolsy player. He is 6'4", big arm, good, you know, like good mechanics, good tall stature, stands tall back in the pocket, moves well enough to not be a liability. Um, can he take all those tools and channel them into a good season? And I think like, you want to ask me the number one question about Georgia football in 2023. I think the, the question is, can Carson Beck hit his receivers on time and see the field fully? If he can get through his reads on time and deliver the ball on time, then Georgia's Georgia's season will be a two game season called the college football playoff. Cause they'll roll through the rest of it. Um, or they'll at least roll through the first 12. We'll see what, what happens in Atlanta and who who's waiting for them there. But I, I think with, with Beck, you're talking about a situation where if he goes out and has a season of playing the way that he should play and that he could play physically for 12 games. Uh, yeah. He's, he's got first round potential for sure. Um, I don't think anybody in this draft is going to do enough over the next three or four months to supplant Caleb Williams and Drake may, but I do think that you could see Carson, uh, Carson has the potential to be that third quarterback in the class, which if you're the third quarterback in the class, sometimes that means you're the number five pick, right? Like, um, that's, still a very, very prestigious position to be in. So I, I think the question for him is uh, consistency. You know, he's, he's always been kind of a streaky player and uh, just, you know, we've never seen him like we've seen him throw an interception before, but we've never seen him go out, throw a first quarter interception and then have to go, play another three and a half quarters on the road in an SEC stadium with everybody screaming at him. Stetson was really good at always having a short memory. And, you know, even like the Ohio state game where he struggled for three quarters, he still pulled himself out of it with enough time to spare. And uh, until you see a guy do that, you don't really know what that's going to look like. All right, moving on. Okay, this is a fun question. So uh, if, if you're familiar with me and my content, and particularly uh, the 12 takeaway segments that I write every week during the season, um, then, then you've probably heard my... Uh, Todd Monken long con theory. And the, the basis of that was uh, kind of started in 2021, but it really, really kind of fully flourished in 2022. And, you know, when Georgia uh, only scored 30 something points against Samford or when they struggled at times against Kent state, or when they only scored, I think 16 against Kentucky, like every time there was a performance like that, uh, you guys 
and by you guys, I just mean the fan base as a whole. Uh, you get angsty. You think that the sky is falling. You think that they've lost the edge, like uh, Merlin and Top Gun, holding on too tight, lost the edge. Reality is that everything you do in a college football game is recorded for all time on the video for anybody else to see. And uh, as the season goes on and the competition gets better, it's kind of like what we were just talking about with, you know, like a lot of games are decided in the red zone. The, the best teams, they can all move the ball between the 20s. When you get to the red zone is when shit happens, for lack of a better term. Um, the question that I have here is, do I think Mike Bobo will continue what Todd Monken started and only calling certain slash limited plays throughout the year and saving the bulk of the playbook for the end of the year slash when it matters? I, I think that Georgia as a program has adapt, adapted that philosophy. Uh and, and I want to be clear, like just because Georgia played a, a close game with somebody doesn't mean to me that they, you know, sandbagged it. Like Missouri gave Georgia all they wanted last year, and that wasn't because Georgia, you know, planned for it to be that way, right? Like I would argue that the Kentucky game that Georgia played, they they could have done other things in the red zone, but they wanted to challenge their offensive line, and they wanted to the, – this struggle with Georgia's offense all year was was the run blocking of the offensive line and that was an opportunity that Georgia took to test those guys and push them one more time before moving into uh moving into the the postseason and the games that were really going to matter in the SEC championship so it's the reason I think that this will happen again under Mike Bobo is because Georgia's defense operates in much the same way uh that Kent State game where they gave up a couple of long plays and everybody was freaking out. And, I mean, good God. Like, it's hilarious what some people do in this sport in terms of the media side of things. I mean, how many conversations did I have with people going into the playoff or into the SEC championship where somebody referenced the Kent State game as, like, something that might matter? And it's like, well, man, this happened – in week three back in September. And uh, I think we all know, like Georgia's played better teams than Kent state since then. Like how much does it really matter? Everything matters, but does that game have any predictive value? Unless you can identify something with a certain player that is not like a leverage mistake, but an actual physical deficiency in terms of foot speed or coverage ability or something like that, then no, it doesn't. So, yeah, I think the long con will continue to be part of what Kirby Smart does because Kirby Smart, he came to Georgia and they went to a national title game in their second year. And then they, they continued to sustain high-level success. They didn't get back to that spot until 2021 when they finally broke through. But they – they did enough to make themselves an elite program. Georgia doesn't have to prove anything to anybody in the regular season as long as they win games. Like they're they're established. They're up in the you know upper echelon. So like you're not gonna see Georgia pull a Josh Heupel and 
start dropping bombs when they're already up, you know, 35 on Missouri with five minutes to go in the fourth quarter. Like they don't need to establish dominance. They're already dominant, but I think, yeah, you look at Georgia's defense, you look at their offense. I mean, that defense, uh, think about the Tennessee game last year. You, you get to the, the second half of that game and, all of a sudden Georgia's dialing up pressures and blitz and blitzes and, and different, you know, simulated pressures that we had not seen in the first two months of the season, even against Florida, even when that game got tight in the fourth quarter. Part of that is that you're going to have different game plans for everybody you play. But part of that is also like we were talking earlier about Georgia's pressure packages and all of that. I mean, you go back and look some of the games early in the season last year. I'll do it. One second. Uh, let's go to who did Georgia play in week four of 2022? Let's look at a. We'll go to the Samford game because why not? Um, on defense for Georgia in that game, Michael Williams, who started and played the most defensive line snaps, I think, of anybody in that game. Yeah, he only played 20 snaps. That was the most of any defensive line player in that game, if I'm not mistaken. It is, yeah. And uh, he only had 16 pass rush snaps. Right. Like, but you look at their, you look at the linebackers for Georgia in that game. How many pass rush snaps did they have? Uh, Dumas Johnson only rushed the passer twice. Like, Georgia wasn't dialing up a bunch of heat on Sanford. They were just playing base defense. And I guess that's the point of my theory or, you know, the point I'm trying to make or the point the question is. Yeah, Georgia's not going to go out there and run a bunch of exotic blitzes so that some some dude can rack up 14 sacks in a season and you know be in line for the Lombardi Trophy or something like that. Like Georgia's going to save all that all that exotic stuff and until they need it, and that's what makes it effective is that nobody knows it's coming until until they're being sacked in the backfield and they're wondering where Javon Bullard came from on a delayed blitz in the rain while Sanford Stadium's roaring at 128 decibels. So, yeah, I hope that answers the question. Um, same user, uh, Gillis also asks, do I foresee any upsets among the hotly contested position battles in fall camp. Um, I would say it's too early to tell, honestly. Uh, I also, you know, it's like define upset, you know, like if Cash Jones is the starting running back and getting 25 carries a game, then like that would be a hell of an upset. Um, but, you know, you got a lot of five-star recruits, four-star recruits, blue chip guys. They all kind of bump into each other. But I, I think that, the 
I'll 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 throw one out there for you. Like maybe the the one that I am kind of keeping an eye on is is Julian Humphrey at cornerback. Like physically, uh, he's a Starks type of athlete. Like he's thick through the lower half, just moves really really well. Like built like your your prototypical defensive back. And and what we know about Kirby and George's style of defensive back play is that they they like to play press man coverage on the boundary and they, they like to play physical on the outside. And um, I think he's a pretty good hybrid of like not quite as big as Ringo, but he's got some of that size that Ringo had and some of that speed that Ringo had, but a little bit probably better change of direction ability. Um, again, I'm not saying he's, he's Ringo's size or has the, the straight line speed that Keeley did, but he's, He's a very good athlete, very good player, and I just think that uh, even with Nyland and Dalen in there duking it out, and those guys were running with the first team defensive backs today as the boundary corners, like with because last year was not a practice. To be clear, um, I just don't know if they can keep him off the field for twelve games even if he doesn't start the season in the lineup, it would not shock me if, if he ends up there by the time all is said and done. So, yeah. Um, Steven asks, who do you think is the biggest threat to UGA's three-peat bid? He says, even though I hate Alabama, I think they're the biggest threat due to their talent. I honestly don't fear Ohio State too much. Fair enough. Uh, it's a lot easier to answer that question after week one when we've kind of seen how teams replace different parts. I am. Uh, I watched Ohio State's spring game and have done some kind of deep dive roster work on them. Definitely have questions about the offensive line. Uh, the receivers are very, very good, but if you watch this show or you read my stuff or you follow me on Twitter, you know that like one of my main philosophies, and I think one of the reasons why I've had success as a handicapper or prognosticator is I believe that football is played from the inside out. And a lot of people in this day and age, more than ever, are fixated with quarterback play, wide receiver play, and that's really it. And every year Ohio State has very good wide receivers. So like I get why those guys are enticing and intoxicating. Receiver play is sexy. But if you don't have a good offensive line to protect your quarterback, then you're never going to get the ball to those guys, at least in the the vertical ways that you want to because they just – aren't going to have time to get downfield and, and get as open as they need to be. Um, Ohio State's had a lot of success replacing quarterbacks over the last decade, so it's hard to question them there. Like, they've recruited the room well, but I mean, just like I said with Carson Beck, like just like with any player that's, that's new under center, I want to see how they respond to adversity and all that type of stuff. So, um, I – Personally, think that uh, it, it's interesting. You know, Javon Bullard today got asked about 
the hit on Marvin Harrison Jr. And his answer was, if you're still talking about that, that's not my fault. We've moved on. We're on to a whole another year. It's it's another fall camp. Um, blah, 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 all that stuff. Like very classic uh, Kirby Smart speak, right? On the other side, Marvin Harrison Jr. got asked by Dennis Dodd of CBS at Big Ten Media Days like last week what would happen if he hadn't been knocked out of that game. And he says, oh, well, we win the game. You see people being like, well, they, they got asked the question, so they have to talk about it. No, they don't. You don't have to talk about anything in life. You don't ever have to answer my question or anybody else in the media's question if you don't want to. Uh, and a lot of media people are there to bait you into answering questions that you probably shouldn't or into answering them more honestly than maybe you should. I, I think that if I'm an Ohio State fan and I'm an honest Ohio State fan that's not blinded by by my Buckeye love, I would look at that program right now and I would be considerably worried about where the mindset is at because even – the players take the message from the coach and the coach is still talking about that play. Anytime he's asked about it is still, still seems very wrapped up and concerned about that play. And you, you look at how that's filtered down through his roster. They're still talking about it. And if they're not careful, especially if Ryan day is not careful, he's going to be talking about it while he's unemployed this time next year, because if they go nine and three and get walloped by Michigan again, then he might not have a job anymore. And if you're a Georgia fan, I think it's an excellent chance to look back in hindsight and give Kirby smart some credit for the wisdom that he had in the days and months after the 2017 national title game. I'm not going to go through all the officiating issues with that game, but they were numerous and lots of people were frustrated by them. Um, lots of, I mean, there were, even the officials that ran the game admitted to, Hey, we, we missed some stuff, right? Like there were calls that definitely had an impact on the outcome of that football game. Georgia got – I remember Kirby Smart being asked, like, did you guys turn in tape of that game to the officiating, you know, office or whatever? And he said no. And the reason he did that, the reason they didn't go down that wormhole is because it didn't matter anymore. You lost the game. And the, the lesson here for the program and the players and the staff is don't leave yourself in a situation to where you're going to be in a, in a close game like that. So – um, I, I worry for that reason about Ohio State's mindset. Alabama, uh, you are right, sir, uh, with, with your question. They, they do have a ton of talent. Um, at some point, the coordinator turnover probably catches up to them. Is this the year? I don't know. Um, I personally have less concerns about Kevin Steele than I do about Tommy Reese. I don't think Tommy Reese is a bad coordinator, but I think Nick Saban has kind of hired them to get that team more physical and, and more downhill run, kind of move back in time a little bit to something closer to what Georgia does offensively than what they did the last few years uh, under Jones and, and Bryce Young. But 
I don't think they got the right personnel for it yet. I think they got to figure that out on the offensive line. I'm not sure if their offensive line is is uh, ready for that. So, um, who is the biggest threat to Georgia three P? I don't think Michigan is because I don't think Michigan can do to Georgia what it does to everybody else because it's too similar to what Georgia does, and nobody's going to out Georgia Georgia with the talent that Georgia has. So, I'll. Look, I didn't pick Alabama to in, to win the SEC West on my preseason ballot at SEC Media Day, so I feel like it's kind of wrong to say them. So I'll say it's I'll say it's LSU. Um, I don't know that I entirely believe that, but uh, I, I think that they're they're my favorite in the SEC West right now. And if Georgia wants to get to where they want to go, the the best way to guarantee that happens is to win all your games. And I think there's a good chance that they see LSU again in Atlanta. And um, Georgia controlled that game the entire way, but they did give up 33 points to LSU, right? Like that, you know, that team was able to score on them. And I think that their defense will be improved. So it'd be interesting to see. All right. Um, one of you, uh, DX the champ, asked about the process of recovering from foot surgery and being cleared to play just because, you know, you got Branson and Smile and all these, a lot of different guys with foot injuries in the recent past for Georgia football. Um, I'm not a doctor, but I'll try to I'll try to get one to come on and talk about it at some point if you want. Um, This is a fun question. Uh, Teton Dog asked top three concerts you'd like to see at Sanford Stadium and why is Widespread Panic number one on that list? Um, because they're an Athens band and they'll they'll fill it up, you know, fill it up with sound and, and people and be a lot of fun. Uh, I think that would be a cool one to see there. I, uh, man. The honest truth is that a lot of concerts suck because a lot of uh, popular artists today are not very good performers. So, I don't know. I think it'd be fun to have like a kind of old school, old school Athens revival type show. Uh, I don't think that they would fill it up for it, but like my heart would love to see the original three guitar lineup of the drive by truckers that included Jason Isbell play a show in uh Sanford stadium. I already said widespread panic. Uh, number three. Why not bring in run the jewels and just really blow it out. All right. Uh, we got one more question and we're going to close this out. This is from John Adams. Are you the real John Adams, sir? I would like to know. Will Georgia finish with 20 players in the top 150 after the final rankings? Georgia is at 17 now. Some will come, some will go. Question mark. That's a good question, John. Let's see what we know. All right. Uh, I'm assuming that John is 
looking at the 24-7 composite or we'll see. Um let's see. 24 player rankings. All right, so I'm gonna assume that John knows knows this stuff that Georgia's got 17 locked in right now. So remaining Georgia targets on the board: Ian Breland, Ryan Wingo. Y'all help me keep count. That's two. Uh, LJ McCray is three. Chris Cole is a fourth. Obviously, KJ Bolden, five. <clears throat> Jeremiah McClellan is six, although I think that ship has sailed. I expect him to go to Missouri or Ohio State. Uh, do we got any more? I don't see any more guys who are currently in the top 150 that. Oh, Nate Frazier. That's eight. All right. Yeah, Georgia definitely finishes with more than 20 with those eight still remaining, in my opinion. Uh, I feel good that – I feel like Georgia's in a very good place for Frazier. I feel like they're in a very good place for Chris Cole. Uh, I feel like they are still very much more in it for Wingo than people realize. I think they're in a very good place for LJ McCray. That one's probably going to come down to a Georgia Florida battle. I'm curious where this uh, Mbuma kid ends up in the rankings when he reclassifies from 2025, but I, I like Georgia's chances of bringing him into the edge. Uh, the only guy right now that I feel like, you know, might be teetering out of the class at this very moment. Obviously, I don't know how the next four months are going to unfold, so no promises on anybody else. But, uh, you know, Peyton Woodyard uh, did take a lot of, uh, you know, the Georgia stuff that he had in his uh, social media stuff off the board or off of his, his bio uh, here recently. So that's something to something to watch. But... I uh, I think that for Georgia, yeah, I think you end up with, with more than 20. Um, obviously, you all want to know about K.J. Bolden. Uh, I put an update on him on the Dog Central subscribers forum earlier this morning or earlier this afternoon, but – Look, if you've made it an hour and three minutes into a live show and you're still watching, I'll, I'll pay off your time investment and tell you that uh, 
feel very good about Georgia's place with him right now. I think a lot of the hype around that recruitment uh, is, A, him trying to create good promotion and attention for himself, which he should do, especially in the NIL era. Like Likes and views and clicks are something that actually have real legitimate value to these kids now, so definitely not going to run them down for that. But, uh, excuse me, sorry, I'm taking a sip of water. Um, I also think that, like, other people have used his last-minute visit to Auburn as an opportunity to create likes and clicks and views on their their content, which is fine. I mean, that's what the recruiting industry does, right? And it's not like Bolden is uh, – it's not bad for him in any way. I would say it probably helps him in some ways. So nobody's doing anything wrong here. I just think that uh, the reality is like Bolton probably not much is that actually that like really changed from where this was. Uh, it wasn't that long ago where everybody felt like he was a, a Georgia lock back in early July and yeah, he took a visit to Auburn and Auburn is throwing around a lot of interesting, you know, uh, NIL overtures right now. And their, their boosters are back united and reinvigorated under Hugh freeze. But, uh, I, I just, I think that one thing I always pay attention to is if nobody can actually agree, like who the, the second place team that's in it is, then that probably means that it means something, you know, take, take a look at it. Um, Auburn people have been very confident that he's going to Auburn at certain points, Florida state people all of a sudden came in, said he's going there, even though he hasn't visited there and forever. And uh, I know he did have a quote at one point saying that that was his kind of childhood team, but, like I reported maybe a month to six weeks ago that I thought Florida state was the second place team for him. And that was when there was all the buzz around Ohio state and Alabama point being like the only constant thing in this recruitment over the long haul has been Georgia. And I just don't think that um, he's really like, I'm not saying it's a hundred percent like, you know, he could definitely end up, somewhere else right it's totally possible that something happens at the 11th hour and he does go to auburn or you know he goes not to georgia i guess but to this point from a sourcing standpoint like you know i would say maybe some sources aren't like as 100 percent dead set confident as they were a couple weeks ago, but no one's come to me and been like, Hey, it's really starting to trend. Like this kid's flat out going to Auburn. Um, so yeah, I think if you're a Georgia fan at this very moment in time at eight 33 Eastern on Saturday night, you can feel pretty good about where things are with him. We'll see how it goes though. Over the, the long haul. Um, Harry says, drop some likes, y'all. Yeah, please like, please subscribe to our channel. Um, definitely trying to put more content on here than we ever have before. 
give you guys at least a couple shows a week as we lead into the season and maybe even more than that when we get into the season. I think what we do is kind of unique in some ways. And uh, if you haven't checked us out at Dog Central, I honestly don't know what you're doing. Like what I share on here is maybe 5 to 10% of the info that is available on our website right now. Um, saw one of you ask about Williams and Airy. Go check out the site. We got recent updates on him a couple days ago. Um, yeah, like I, I think that uh, if you go and try out Dog Central, the what our numbers say and what the feedback says is that you're you're almost certainly going to stay, and you're going to almost certainly feel like the six ninety nine a month that you pay for our website is a bargain compared to the nine ninety nine a month that most pay sites are asking. Um, and I, th- I think you're going to find that we have a very mature college football community where people talk to each other like human beings and have good, good debate and, you know, uh, good insight. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of talent in our subscriber base that we're starting to, take advantage of and um we really think we're doing something cool here and if you're the the biggest thing i would say is if you want a college football website that's actually about college football then then come and check us out uh we we do not have people posting about politics on our board if anyone ever does i'll delete that shit like this is what we all do to not be distracted by all the other crazy stuff that's going on in the world. So uh, I definitely don't ever want to sully your college football experience with, you know, political opinions or, or divisive things or somebody calling you names. Like we're, we're here to have a good time together and we hope that you'll join us. Uh, I also hope that you will check out our sponsor home field apparel uh, you can check them out at homefieldapparel.com. I'm wearing one of their wonderfully soft T-shirts right now. It is beautiful. It fits very well. It's nice and fitted. My wife thinks I look good in it. Uh, all of those things are good things, in my opinion. So I hope that you'll uh, come, and, come and check us out. Come and check them out. Uh, Dog Central 23 is the code that you can use on the Home Field Apparel website to uh, – Take advantage of 20% off and we'll be doing lots of giveaways and promotions with those guys over the coming weeks and months as we get into the season. So if you haven't checked them out, do it. They make good, soft, vintage UGA apparel. And they're also getting into an era of like 80s style kind of throwback, which is very much my cup of tea. So think you'll enjoy it go check them out come check us out thank you for all of you who have watched the entire live stream uh really really appreciate the support of the channel and of the dog central site and of our entire team and of me hope you all have a good weekend and uh might be back here on saturday evening if georgia gets some good news to talk about that but uh until then enjoy nfl preseason And I also will be jumping on a Twitter spaces here in about a half hour 
that I was asked to do. So uh, if you follow me over there and you're, you're not tired of me yet, then uh, <laughs> come and check that out. Have a good one, guys.